Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. In this week's podcast, Ed Slot fills us in on possible tax changes to expect with the Biden administration. We name three standouts in a shifting industry. Christine Benz discusses the impacts of rising bond yields. And Keith Reed Cleveland explains different retirement plan options. So let's get started. Here's Christine Benz from Morningstar Inc. and tax and IRA expert Ed Slot. Hi, I'm Christine Benz from Morningstar. Should investors be bracing themselves for tax changes? Joining me to discuss that topic is tax and retirement expert Ed Slot. He's author of a new book called The New Retirement Savings Time Bomb. Ed, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me back to talk taxes, my favorite. It's great to have you here. There's been a lot of discussion about whether a new presidential administration and a new Congress will bring about major changes to the tax code. So just as a general stage setter, how would you suggest that people approach this? Should they just kind of wait and see? Is there any need ever to make changes preemptively based on tax changes that we think might be coming down the pike? Well, I don't just uh, up front, I don't have any inside information, so I don't know anything other people don't know. Everything is speculative. But you know what? I got a lot of these questions up leading up to the election. What if this? What if that? And I tell I have to remind people for a lot of the things you can control your own tax rate for things like a Roth conversion. You know, I wouldn't wait around. I think taxes will go up. Maybe not this year. It seems to me, my opinion again, that they have a lot of other priorities right now doing sort of like tax, uh, financial triage and they're prioritizing what things they have to take care of. I think taxes will come maybe later in the year, maybe not even this year. And the later they go into the year, the less likely it is that anything will be retroactive back to January 1st. So you have the window of opportunity now. We know what tax rates are now in 2021, and they're the lowest tax rates, just like we've been saying the last few years, you may ever see in your lifetime. So I would take advantage of those rates. The odds are most people won't see their taxes go down given our deficit and debt levels. So higher income people might see taxes increase. So that's why I mentioned something like a Roth conversion. You can control that now. I would look at those low brackets and take advantage of getting some of that IRA money out now, because that's just a growing, building, unpaid, compounding debt in your IRA. And if rates go up over the long term, which is likely, it will cost you more later. This is an ideal time, I think, to do a Roth conversion. And the things that I like about a Roth conversion is even if I'm wrong and rates don't go up or they even go down, which I doubt. The great part about the Roth conversion, the worst case scenario is you have a 0% tax rate. You've locked in a 0% tax rate on those funds for life. That's not a bad consolation prize. You can't beat a 0% rate. So those are some things you can do to take advantage of today's rates, which we know are here now for 2021. Right. I wanted to ask about capital gains. That's been another area of interest, whether we'll see that uh, tax bracket for 
uh, high income folks for capital gains go up. Um, when you think about that, uh, I'd, I'd like your perspective on the likelihood of that. And I know you don't want to just guess randomly, but if you can share your perspective and then also discuss any strategies that might make sense for people who potentially could be facing higher capital gains taxes in the future. That's something that might happen. But again, I don't think they're going to get to it till later in the, in the year for the reasons I said before. And I don't think you're going to see, even if they get to it, anything outrageous. Because remember, you have a 50-50 Senate. Anything extreme, I don't think, is going to pass. So it'll have to be middle of the road. They'll probably trim around the edges. Uh, there's, there's thinking that maybe the capital gain rate will go up a little. Uh, remember, back in the 80s, I believe, there was two or three years where the capital gain rate was the same as the ordinary income tax rate. That's something that might happen. And if you're worried about that, well, then maybe sell some items now. But I really wouldn't overreact this year. I don't think anything like that is going to happen this year. If you, uh, you know, unless you have like really big items, a big uh, property sale or something, uh, and you want to lock in today's low capital gain rates. I don't think you'll see a, a lot of extreme movement on that. It may pop up a few points. Um, they may try to make it even to the ordinary income rates. But even that, I think, is too much to push through a 50-50 Senate at this point. How about estate tax changes? There have been a couple of uh, thoughts there that uh, perhaps the exclusion amount would uh, go lower than it is today. It's very, very high today. So let's start there. I'd like your perspective on how people should be thinking about that. I think that is something that may come down. Remember, it's <laughs> the exemption we have now is almost 12 million a person. Actually, for 21, the estate and gift exemption, 11.7 million, 23.4 million for married couples. So I think you could see some of that coming back down. It's supposed to go back down to half after 2025 anyway. So you could see some movement on, then, on that. Again, I don't think you'll see it this year because it'll be too far into the year to make it retroactive. But maybe if you're thinking ahead, if you have an estate that you feel with changes in that exemption could be subject to estate tax, maybe you want to look at doing some gifting now and taking advantage of tax-exempt gifting. Besides just the 15,000 annual exclusion gifts, you can use the exemption during your lifetime. You could use that 11 million or 23 million during lifetime and lock it in. And the good part about doing that, let's say you use the whole 11 million. You have a lot of money, you lose, use the whole 11 million. And then it turns out they drop it to 5 million. You get to keep that 11 million. IRS already ruled on this a couple of years ago that they won't claw it back. So that may be an opportunity to lock in that 11.7 million exemption by using gifts. You won't have to give it back. So that's something you can do. The other item on the estate, uh, uh, on the estate front ties in again with capital gains is talk about undoing the step up in, base, in basis. I think that one's a bridge too far. That's extreme. And I did some research on this. Did you know this year, 2021 is the 100th year anniversary of step up in basis in 1921. And I saw some articles come out and this has come up year after year. Anytime there was a major event we, and they had the same exact arguments and nothing ever happened with it. I think that's too extreme. 
too much of a shock to the system. It would affect too many, even just regular homeowners who bought a home 40 years ago. Now they have all this appreciation unless they put a large exemption in there. I think that's too much to push through this year, again, with a 50-50 Senate. And I think that's too much of a lift. I, I don't see a step up in basis going away. My opinion, I could be wrong. Not to mention that would be quite a, a record keeping crisis. For oh, people. can you imagine? That's one of the best things of step up in basis. You don't have to worry what grandma Moses paid for that house, that cabin in the 1800s. Now you get the data death value. Yes, it would be. That's a great point. It would be a record keeping nightmare. You'd have to go back to the original owner, find the cost, all the improvements, all the additions to basis. It would be a nightmare. I don't think you'll see that happen. Okay, Ed. It's always great to get your perspective. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Christine. Thanks for watching. I'm Christine Benz for Morningstar. Expand your investing horizons and look to the long term with Morningstar's podcast, The Long View. Join hosts Christine Benz and Jeff Patak as they talk to influential leaders in investing, advice, and personal finance. Search for and subscribe to The Long View today. Now we list our picks in the software industry. Unlike the prevailing market sentiment, we don't think that public cloud adoption is going to kill the demand for networking vendors. In fact, we believe the shift to the public cloud is oversimplified and expect networking firms to pivot their strategic wares to use the cloud as a sturdy growth catalyst. In our view, the hybrid cloud, where enterprises will combine on-premises and cloud infrastructures for workloads, will be the norm. Indeed, networking technology may be undergoing its most radical change since the advent of the internet. Data is proliferating at an incredible rate with increased connectivity requirements and distributed networking ecosystems. The solutions enabling faster, higher quality transmission of services to users and devices anywhere at any time are in the early stages of disruption. From the data center to wireless connections to branch and edge locations, there is substantial opportunity outside and within the public cloud data center for networking vendors. VMware is our top pick in the industry, as we suspect the market is underestimating the virtualization king's ability to turn cloud and containers into growth engines while expanding to adjacent markets like security with solid growth trajectories. We think shares are worth $202. We think Cisco is a high quality name for investors looking for shareholder returns with at least 50% of free cash flow slotted to return to investors. The company is dominant across various networking subsegments, and we expect emerging growth prospects to sustain Cisco against the headwinds from legacy product lulls and the overarching cloud threat. We think shares are worth $48. Lastly, we think F5 Networks is a great turnaround story that we expect to continue gaining momentum. The shift to software is an ongoing trend in networking, and as this enterprise-focused firm pivots towards software and application security, and bridges the divide between developer and infrastructure teams, we expect it to accelerate its prospects via the cloud. We think shares are worth $185. Six days a week, we deliver the latest news for investors. Just say, Alexa, enable the Morningstar skill, or visit Morningstar.com Alexa. Next, Susan Jabinski and Christine Benz from Morningstar, Inc. discuss rising bond yields. Hi, I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. 
Bond yields have jumped up over the past several months. In fact, the yield on the 10-year Treasury bond is about a full percentage point higher now than it was last summer. Joining me today to talk about what rising yields mean for your portfolio is Christine Benz, Christine's Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance. Hi, Christine. Thank you for being here today. Hi, Susan. It's great to be here. So why are yields on the rise? It's a good question. I would say the major driving factor seems to be inflation. It seems that investors are assuming that the combination of the stimulus package, growth in the economy as a result of the vaccine, a lot of factors, pent-up demand could drive inflation in the future. And that in turn is what's driving interest rates up because there's the anticipation that the Federal Reserve may act at some point in the future to stave off inflation. So investors are trying to kind of get ahead of that action. And so what have the implications been for bonds? Well, it hasn't been good for bonds. And the longer you've been, the more volatility you've experienced as a result of these rate changes. So when we look at long-term government bonds or long-term corporate bonds even, for the year to date through early March, you see losses of about 10% on indexes and funds that track those indexes that invest in long-term bonds. For short and intermediate term bonds, there has been less rate-related volatility. So those indexes and those products that track them are down about 1% or 2% for the year to date through early March. So it really depends on what you've invested in. If you've invested in sort of riskier, higher yielding securities, they have experienced a little bit of a little bit less of rate-related volatility as well because their yields are higher. They protect them a little bit during periods like this. And what impact has this had on stocks? Well, it certainly seems to be shaking the stock market here and there. Uh, we have seen stocks anticipate inflation as well, and that causes a couple of ripple effects. One is that it requires borrowers, corporate borrowers, to pay more to service their debt. So investors and in stocks are looking at that. And they're also looking at the idea that higher interest rates, higher inflation could curb consumers spending a little bit. So that has hurt stocks a little bit. It's been interesting to see how concentrated that has been with um, the technology sector, especially really bearing the brunt of those worries. We've seen significant volatility there. And that's a little bit unusual because oftentimes when we do see these uh, inflation and interest rate worries roil the market, that's oftentimes more concentrated in the economically sensitive sectors, which are often value leaning. This time we're seeing in the growth area. And I think that's simply because that sector, large growth stocks, mid-growth stocks were a little bit overvalued coming into this period. So they were simply more vulnerable from that standpoint. So what should investors be doing or thinking about at this point? Well, I think that uh, the little bit of volatility that we've had in stocks is a reminder to take a look at your portfolio's asset allocation, check it to see whether you're in line with your target. It's been really easy to be hands off and to be just kind of living with our portfolios because we've seen such strong performance from stocks. But I do think that it's important for people getting close to retirement, especially to revisit their portfolio's asset allocations, make sure that 
they've taken some risk off the table in anticipation of volatility because anytime you see a, a stock market that has performed as well as long as this one has, I think you want to be careful about not taking too much equity risk in your portfolio. Within your fixed income portfolio, I like the idea of matching the durations of any bond funds that you hold or bond ETFs that you hold to the holding period that you expect to have for them. So if you have a very short term holding period for your money, like a two to three year time horizon, there you'd wanna stick with some sort of a short term bond product. If you have a slightly longer time horizon, like in the neighborhood of five to 10 years, if that's your holding period for that bond fund, I think you could reasonably hold intermediate term bonds. But you wanna take care to match those durations of those products to your holding period. Now, what about other portions of our financial plans? What should we be keeping an eye on right now? Well, borrowing costs, I think, are a big one. We consumers do shoulder borrowing costs, especially if we have mortgage debt. There has been a, quite a frenzy in the home, home buying market. We've seen mortgage rates lift up a little bit here. I think the overarching message I would uh, impart is that Interest rates are still really low. It's still a really good time to be a borrower, but it may tick up over time. And we've, we've begun to see that. So if you are close to buying a property or close to refinancing a mortgage, it seems like it's still not a terrible time to lock in what are pretty low rates today. Well, Christine, thank you so much for your time and perspective today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm Susan Javinsky for Morningstar. Thank you for tuning in. And lastly, Keith Reed Cleveland from Morningstar Inc. tells us the difference between a 401k and Roth IRA. Thanks to compound interest, the more you save now could really pay off later in retirement. So how do you do it? By saving in a reliable retirement plan like a 401k or a Roth IRA. 401ks are employer offered savings plans in which you are able to contribute pre-tax dollars from your paycheck and often have those contributions matched by your employer. Your first step is seeing if your job has automatic enrollment. Morningstar experts recommend you start with whatever you can afford, but ideally up to the level of your company match. Don't leave free money on the table. Given that 401ks are designed to benefit you down the road, you can think of them as a way to pay your future self. Note, since you're contributing pre-tax dollars, they will be taxed when you start withdrawing them down the road. A Roth IRA is very similar to a 401k, but it has one major difference. With a Roth IRA, you pay taxes on any funds up front instead of when you withdraw. So if you think you'll be in a higher tax bracket in retirement than you are today, this might make sense as a good way to save on taxes later on. Of course, the earlier you open an account, the better, because your contributions will grow due to compound interest. Still, if you haven't done it yet, there is no better time than the present. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. 
The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services, LLC, is a subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.